in any condition to drive. Just as he had convinced himself Curtis wasn't returning, he heard, 5804, apartment 12. Good, Drew said as he scrawled the numbers on the margin on a page ripped out of Sports Illustrated. What street? San Mateo, up by those car dealers. Okay, Curtis, just sit tight. I'll call the cops and then I'll be right there. The cops? Come on, of course I'm calling the cops. Somebody's been murdered. Fontanelle, Curtis said absently. Her name's Fontanelle Harper. You were in bed with her? When I woke up, but I don't know how that happened. I don't... Hang in there, Drew said. I'm coming. He disconnected and dialed 911. Chapter 2 Drew raced out of his small house to his jeep. The neighborhood, his old neighborhood, the one where he had grown up, was still and dark. Even the homeboys, who usually hung out on the corner in their long flannel shirts, drinking beers out of sack-wrapped bottles, had called it a night. He didn't have much time. He'd thrown on his clothes while on the phone with the police, and now he needed to get halfway across town to Curtis. He wanted to be there when the squad cars arrived. Curtis didn't sound like he was in any condition to talk to the cops. It was chilly for mid-May, and the stars were sharp pinpricks on the black velvet sky. Drew tried to button his shirt with one hand while he steered with the other, urging the jeep toward Interstate 25. The canvas-topped Wrangler was drafty, and early morning air stung his face. He blew through red lights crossing downtown, then rocketed up on I-25. Huge banks of white lights illuminated the freeway, and he squinted against them as he sped along the broken road, weaving between concrete barricades. Construction crews worked nights, reconfiguring Albuquerque's main crossroads where I-25 and I-40 meet, a tangle of ramps and interchanges the locals call the Big Eye. Usually the construction area crawled with cops working radar guns, but none were around now, probably all racing to the murder scene. Drew wondered who the dead woman was and how well Curtis knew her. Might be a simple pickup. The Rattlers played Thursday night. Curtis might have gone home with her after the game. It wouldn't be the first time he had found himself in bed with a strange woman after a night of too much bourbon and too little discretion. And it wasn't the first time he had called Drew for help when a rendezvous went sour. Drew couldn't count the number of times that Curtis had phoned him over the years, needing a designated driver or a ride home from some woman's apartment. And there was that time a year ago when a jealously crazed boyfriend treed Curtis in an upstairs bathroom, ready to kill him. Curtis had been in his underwear, locked in the bathroom with the boyfriend pounding on the door, but he'd had the woman's cell phone. He'd guessed correctly that the boyfriend would settle down once a man Drew's size arrived for a calming talk. So, it wasn't surprising that Curtis would turn to Drew now that a dead cheerleader had turned up. But it was surprising that she had been murdered. Drew couldn't picture Curtis killing someone. He had never seen Curtis lay a hand on any of the women that had passed through his swinging life. Curtis was too laid back for violence. He didn't care enough about anything to fight about it. He would have mentioned, though, if he'd gotten involved with a rattler cheerleader, Andrew wouldn't have forgotten a name like Fontanelle Harper. So this probably was a one-night stand. But how could she end up dead? The jeep weaved between the few cars that dotted the early morning freeway, the speedometer pushing 90. Drew slowed as his exit approached. 
The familiar exit wasn't far from the Gazette building, and the thought of the newspaper chilled him. The brass at the Gazette would go nuts when they heard about Curtis and the dead woman, and Drew would be back in a familiar place, taking heat to protect Curtis's ass. But before he could brood too much over that, another thought jarred him. "'Sweet Jesus!' he said aloud. "'This could be my fault!' Drew, still uncomfortable at being his friend's boss, had insisted a week earlier that Curtis get close to the Rattlers. He wanted him to learn more about the franchise, how it was financed, if it had any chance of success. Could Curtis have been seeing the cheerleader as a way to get backstage with the team? Maybe he had somehow translated Drew's orders into, "'Go bed down the cheerleaders.' Sounded like the kind of mistake his buddy would make." Drew could be indirectly responsible for Curtis waking up next to that dead woman. It was the debut season for the Albuquerque Rattlers and their parent league, the Western America Basketball League, or WABL, which the rags in the newspaper pronounced Wobble. The league was the brainchild of a local software tycoon named Scott Surf and was doomed to be a money-losing proposition. Minor league teams came and went in New Mexico all the time. Basketball, hockey, baseball, and soccer teams all had called it quits here in the past. And WABL's timing was lousy. Albuquerque recently had come close to getting its own NBA franchise, a sneaky plan that Drew and the Gazette helped shoot down. The NBA gave the expansion franchises to two other cities, which hadn't helped Drew's popularity around basketball-mad Albuquerque. To most fans, the Rattlers seemed a poor consolation prize. Curtis hadn't said much about the story since it was assigned, and Drew wasn't sure he'd made much progress on it. Probably didn't matter now, the story definitely had taken a different direction. The news would sort itself out later. The main job now was getting Curtis out of trouble. He zoomed down a ramp off the freeway and through a hairpin turn onto San Mateo Boulevard. San Mateo's six lanes were lined by fast food joints and chain restaurants and car dealerships and shopping centers. Tucked behind them to the east were sprawling apartment complexes surrounded by asphalt moats, Albuquerque's version of living over the store. Drew heard sirens approaching as he bounced over speed bumps into the parking lot of a two-story apartment building, it took only a moment to locate apartment 12 among its darkened neighbors on the ground floor. The windows were ablaze with light, and Curtis had left the door standing open. Drew hoped he was still in there. Fleeing would only make things worse. He slammed the jeep into an empty parking slot and sprinted to the apartment door, his gimpy ankles twinging with every step. He stopped at the doorway and peered inside. Curtis sat alone on the sofa, wearing only a pair of jeans, his skinny arms propped on his knees, his dreadlocked head in his hands. Empty glasses crowded the tabletops, ashtrays overflowed, and a couple of booze bottles stood open. The dregs of a party. Curtis. Curtis lifted his head and tried to focus his bloodshot eyes. What's the matter with you, you drunk? I don't know, man. I feel screwed up. I'm, I'm dizzy. Where's the woman? Curtis pointed to where a hall split the space between a tiny kitchen and a cluttered dining room. Down there. On the bed. You move anything? I didn't touch her, Curtis said. Uh, I mean, oh man, I, I don't think I did. I, I can't remember anything. 
Tires squealed and Drew turned just as two uniformed cops bailed out of their car. Flashing lights bathed the parking lot in red and blue. The driver put his hand on the butt of his pistol and shouted, Hold it right there! Drew raised his empty hands and said, It's okay, I'm the one who called. Step outside, away from the door. He did as he was told. The cops ordered him to put his hands on the wall and he assumed the position, the rough stucco digging into his palms. One cop patted him down while his partner peeked around the door jam into the apartment. Drew hoped Curtis was coherent enough to sit very still. Two other squad cars shrieked into the parking lot and spilled more officers. Lights flicked on in nearby apartments. Okay, you're clean, the cop said. Turn around. Drew faced the cop, a middle-aged sergeant with sun-leathered cheeks and a rutted forehead. He was stocky, but at least six inches shorter than Drew's six-foot-four. His name tag said Griggs. I'm Drew Gavin. I'm the one who called 911. The guy inside works for me at the Gazette. Griggs squinted up at him. You reporters? Sports writers. Griggs' expression softened a little. People figure sports writers won't cause trouble because they only care about one thing. Sports. And, Drew thought, that's pretty close to the truth. He could hear other cops ordering Curtis around inside the apartment, and he badly wanted to go in there and help him. At least be by his side, keep him from making things worse. He called me a few minutes ago, said there's a dead woman in here, in the bedroom. You see the body? Never made it past the front door. I got here seconds before you did. All right, stay here. Griggs hurried inside. Drew waited on the sidewalk, worrying. He glanced through the door and saw the cops had Curtis standing unsteadily, his hands on top of his head, mashing the four-inch-long dreads that rose from his head like the tendrils of sea anemone. His lean, dark body looked like a shadow of...